Welcome back, everybody. I am hype. I'm ready for this episode today. Uh, I feel like I say that I'm hype and excited and ready at the beginning of every episode, but it's the truth. I am. I am so excited to get to walk through God's word with y'all, share and learn together. Uh, But look, we are getting closer to finishing up chapter one of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Actually, we are finishing the first chapter of Paul's letter to Ephesians. And last episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, you need to, but we ended with Paul praying that God would fill the believers with the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge. And this led us down the path of discovering how exactly this knowledge is obtained. Like I said, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend it because it ties directly in to what we're going to be talking about today. Paul is working on one train of thought throughout all of these verses. And so go listen to that yet if you haven't. Um, But if you have listened to it, then you know that Paul is tying in a lot of things that we're going to be talking about today. But long story short, we came to the conclusion last episode that the most readily available and reliable way of gaining information about God and his desires for mankind is through his word. It's not through some subjective medium or form of trying to communicate with the divine on your own accord. You see a lot of that kind of individualistic spiritual endeavors that are going on today. And unfortunately, that leads people to a bunch of mixed and contradicting conclusions that don't actually correspond with God's revealed word. And so the one reliable objective way that we can gain knowledge of God is through the word that he has provided to us. And through this, we can have a fully objective way of discovering God's nature, his will, and his moral code for all humanity. And when we have this, this allows us to properly discern between evil and good. And this is absolutely necessary, especially when we remember that being made in the image of God is more than just a description of humanity, but it is a vocation. It's a calling. It's a duty that is given to us. So, If we are to be physical representatives of God, then we better start acting in a way that properly mirrors his will. And we come to know that will by deeply knowing his word. So with that being said, we're going to be starting in verse 18 as far as our breakdown. But I want to start back with the full kind of thought process that Paul has back in verse 15. And we're going to be reading through the very end of the chapter. And then like we always do, we're going to break it down verse by verse. So Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, so let's start. In verse 18, breaking this down. So once again, Paul says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So, okay, let's gather some context here. So Paul tells us that his prayer is one that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and reveal the knowledge of him. Okay, great. So the, the natural question to ask then is, well, what's the purpose of that? Like, where does that lead? What's the point of having the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of God's knowledge? Well, he tells us here in verse 18 that all of this wisdom and revealed knowledge, it leads to the eyes of your hearts being enlightened. Or other translations may have it say that it leads to the eyes of your hearts being lit up. Now, that seems nice, but, but let's dig deeper for one second. So the word enlightened or lit up, depending on your translation, comes from the Greek word photizo, and this means to light up or illuminate. Um, other instances, it's used to talk about bringing something to light. So either Paul is saying that the result of this knowledge and wisdom that we gain partially from um, just internal revelation, but also from reading God's word that this knowledge will result in our hearts being either enlightened, informed with new revelation, or that it will lead to our hearts being filled with light. In either way, whichever translation you may take, this action that takes place in our hearts leads to us knowing the hope that God, that God has called us to. And I, I feel like this episode, I'm going to be asking a lot of rhetorical questions because Paul kind of sets up a result that then leads to another result. It's just like a, a chain reaction of things that will happen and things that we will come to know and learn and experience, all starting back with what Christ has done for us. So there's going to be a lot of questions of, well, where does that lead? What does that cause? What does that do? So the question we'll ask is, Paul tells us that we have this hope that because our hearts were enlightened, we, we now will know this hope that God has called us to. So the question is, well, what is the hope that God has called us to? What hope should we have once we receive this wisdom and this knowledge that Paul prays that these believers receive? Well, we actually find a pretty good summary and answer in the very next chapter of Ephesians, and we'll dive into this a lot deeper in the coming weeks, but look at this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That does a pretty good job at summarizing the hope of believers. This hope that we have been saved through grace. We were once dead, but because of God's grace, we are saved and we're also seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And there will be riches of God's grace that we will experience. So how does Paul then follow up this new hope that we now know and now receive because of our enlightened heart that comes from wisdom and knowledge of God. Well, it leads to us knowing the riches of his inheritance that is set apart for the faithful. I'm going to reread verse 18 again. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So, We gain this wisdom and knowledge, which leads to our hearts being enlightened or lit up. And when that happens, we then come to know the hope that God has called us to. And once we realize that hope and all that it entails, we understand the riches of God's glorious inheritance for the saints, for those who are faithful. Now, this inheritance... I think it's important to understand what this inheritance is and isn't. I can tell you right now that this inheritance isn't referring to material goods. Some in the prosperity gospel uh, camps may try and take this verse and say, See, this clearly means that God's going to give you health and wealth and prosperity as long as you actually hope and believe. And all you have to do is just really pray and have enough faith and God's going to bless you with wealth. That is not what this inheritance is talking about. This inheritance is of the kind that cannot and will not be seen in this immediate life, at least not in its fullness. We've received the inheritance, but we haven't yet seen it. Because this inheritance is one that is stored in heaven. And how do we know this? Well, the inheritance, especially in this time in history, was given from a father to his child. And the inheritance would have been, at least in this culture, the land, the belongings, the livestock. Essentially, the father's kingdom in some microcosm sense. And we know that from many other texts in the New Testament, that God's kingdom, his, his land, if you will, is not of this world. Jesus says as much in John 18, verse 36, he's being questioned by Pilate. And Jesus answers him and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I wouldn't be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And with this in mind, Paul informs the Corinthian church about certain types of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. The same kingdom that Jesus has informed us is not of this physical world on earth, but it's a kingdom in heaven. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul's being very clear that uh, for believers that are walking in the light of Christ and walking according to his, his commands and his example, we will inherit the kingdom of God. Because Paul points out that those who are walking opposite to what I just pointed out, sinners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when Paul says back in verse 18 here, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what's the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, he is hoping that believers, you and I, will, will firstly recognize the hope that we are to have which is the hope for grace and salvation through Christ. And because of this grace and salvation, we are then to know the coming inheritance that God's children will have. Now, here's another question. I told you we have a lot of questions. Paul just kind of sets it up this way in the way that he writes this chapter. Why are we able to even have this hope? in Christ, or have this hope in an inheritance in the first place? Well, Paul explains why in the very next verse, in verse 19, he points out that he, he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. So the reason that we can have this capability of hoping in salvation as God's children is because of his unfathomable power that he gives to those who follow Christ. And how was this power displayed? Well, Paul tells us in the rest of verse 19 going through, he says, it's displayed according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So that power, that power that God so graciously used in order to help us, that power was displayed not by bringing about war and terror, not by imposing his will through violence and destruction, which let me point out that if God wanted to enact his justice that way, in this case through Jesus, he most certainly could have. He would have been fully justified in doing so. And just a quick side note, we see this being played out in Revelation. Jesus comes forth in Revelation with aggression. Look at this in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 13. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So this is a very clear 
depiction of Jesus in a future time violently judging those that willfully rejected him. But that's not how God displayed his power in this particular instance when Jesus died for our sins. Because Paul points out in Ephesians that this current time, Jesus came as a man. He humbled himself, came as a man. Jesus rejected. Jesus was rejected by his own people. And he came with all power and authority where he was raised from the dead and then seated with all authority over every power and name. And because of that, because of what Jesus did, we have hope. And Paul finishes this very long run-on sentence in verses 22 and 23. He says, Now realize, you know, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, so finally, final thoughts here. We are the body of Christ, the church. And we are filled and complete because of Christ. In all of this, Paul prays that believers will come to have this knowledge. Because when you fully know who you serve and the power that he wields, you will come to understand the hope that should drive your every breath. And to piggyback off uh, a topic that we touched on last episode, this idea of how subjective morality and subjective kind of independent spirituality can really run rampant in the church and just in society in general. This happens when we have a bunch of biblically illiterate people running around claiming that the emotions that they feel are God or are divine in some sense. And this is why you can have Christians that will wholeheartedly believe that God revealed to them contradicting things about his nature and contradicting things about salvation, things that are nowhere found in Scripture, but they wholeheartedly claim that this is the truth and this happens when we are not grounded in God's objective, non-changing word. And when we actually understand his word and we spend time in it and, and we do everything we can to draw closer to God, not, in a, not just in an individual spiritual sense, which is good, but also by reading the word that he spent 2,000 plus years working to give us, you would think it'd be important to do that. And when we do that, as Paul points out, we will gain wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And when that happens, our eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. And because we read God's word and our hearts are enlightened, we will then come to know the hope that we are all supposed to have through Christ, a hope that will inform us of the riches of God's inheritance that he is so ready to give us. And we will understand the greatness of God's power towards those who believe. And through that, we will understand how mighty and powerful the act of Jesus humbling himself, coming to earth in the form of a man, dying, being rejected by his own people, and raising from.
the dead, being seated at the right hand of God, being above all names for all ages. We only come to know that by having biblical literacy and having the revelation of the knowledge of God, honestly, at all of our fingertips, and it's in his word. All of these things that Paul prays that the people he is writing to will know, all of those things we we have access to that knowledge today. And it would be a shame if any of us willfully reject or ignore that knowledge. I'll see y'all next week.